You are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. Welcome so to Anything is Potable! The Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you live on a Wednesday, couple days after the Celtics successfully swept the Brooklyn Nets. Scott Foster didn't want it to happen. He nearly he did foul out Jason Tatum, but the Celtics managed to get the win, pull out the win, thanks to some timely plays by Jalen Brown, Al Horford, and Marcus Smart. And next up will likely be the Milwaukee Bucks, fully expecting them to beat the Chicago Bulls without Zach Levine tonight. And so, Jay, you were in Brooklyn. What's your What was your impression of the win to start? And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll just start there before uh, getting fully ahead to the Bucks series. What was your impression of their the C's win in Game 4? Uh, yeah, I, I think just the whole series, they just had the answers. And when they needed to in that game, they kept Brooklyn at bay. It wasn't like they ever really, really pulled away, but they didn't trail once. Every time Brooklyn came back, they responded. At the end, Jason Tatum foul was out. Things are going to shit. And they made just enough plays down the stretch. Marcus Smart definitely took a layup he should not have taken. Jalen Brown definitely threw a pass he should not have thrown. But the Celtics, like, they were the better team. After game one, which could have been anybody's, they played like it. Jason Tatum was just awesome throughout that whole series. He outplayed Kevin Durant, which is almost impossible. The Celtics' defense against Durant was incredible, even though he went, he had a, a pretty big game points-wise during game four. It wasn't like he was super efficient while doing it. And so they just took away what they wanted to take away. They got what they wanted to get. And I just thought it was a really mature four-game sweep for the Celtics against a team that, even though the Nets aren't a great team and obviously they have holes, to do what they did to Durant and Irving during that series is really, really impressive. Yeah, I mean, game four was kind of the the game that I expected like most of the series to be like, where it was Kevin Durant, he scored nearly 40 points, but the Celtics still managed to get a victory just because the Nets didn't really have the the lineup to close. Uh, I think the most impressive thing is we've talked about this Celtics team. A lot of their struggles uh, have obviously been down the stretch, and they basically won, although some of the games were a little closer because of kind of BS threes at the end. They won uh, four games that were within, I think, seven points. And we've talked about the team struggling, especially uh, to execute when Jason Tatum's on the bench. And so for those two kind of events to occur in the down the stretch of game four where Tatum fouls out on what was just it was I would say a horse shit call I think if I was going to classify how it. mad I were put, you when that happened I I kind of chuckled because it was like um that's some that's some Marcus Smart uh style BS that Goran just pulled 
Um, and I was like, well, yeah, you know, like if you're a fan of Marcus Smart, you just kind of have to understand that 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 kind of stuff happens. I was a little just bit less. Gap. You just got tip. I mean, that's Goron being Goron. Like you had to. He, he pulled him down. It was it was absolutely bullshit, but you kind of just like felt like it was coming. The next six minutes of basketball, I was the most nervous I've been watching a Celtics game uh, probably since uh, the bubble, I would say. Like, really, uh, uh, the fandom the came back, but it was just impressive the Celtics were able to kind of keep it together and find a way to win. I don't I like I, they also kind of lucked out with one Al Horford being able to follow up that layup. KD missing the uh for his second free throw but um i thought jalen had was just phenomenal down the stretch and just in well and then i'm looking at my nose and it has jalen turns the ball over so he wasn't necessarily phenomenal down the stretch but um i thought he did uh so just like made enough plays to win and which is not something you can necessarily say the celtics have done uh for the longest time so i thought it was impressive for them to get a win when you know, Tatum fouls out. I think everyone would have just have accepted, like, oh, the Nets got their one. Like, the, the Celtics could have folded in that moment, and they decided, like, they didn't, even without their best player. Yeah, I, I thought the series kind of proved, or provided evidence, at least, that the Celtics are what they were over the last three months of the regular season. You know, they they're not the whatever BS <laughs> happened early on, they are a defensive juggernaut that can take Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving both out of a series. They took them both out of the series. And that's what's most impressive to me is like, do it to one guy. Sure. Like, how do you take away both? Um, and so they made things as difficult on Durant as anyone has maybe ever in a playoff series. He had the third worst uh, playoff series field goal percentage that he'd ever had. He had averaged more turnovers per game than he ever had in a series before. Like, they just really, really made the one guy who has looked above all types of defenses over the last six, seven years, they disrupted that guy. Um, and then I think on top of that, the def- the offensive execution was just really impressive too. And I, the Nets have holes; they're small, but the Celtics were able to take advantage of it. Tatum, I thought the stretch he had in Game Four, I think it was the second quarter, when the Nets started scoring, they they were trying to come back, and Tatum three times y- uses a mismatch, which the Celtics. You know, executed well to get to that point in the first place. Get the ball to Tatum's hands. He has a mismatch. He doesn't use it to to go look for his own shot. He uses it to get Grant Williams the ball, and Grant Williams an open three point shot. And to me, that just showed the evolution of the Celtics offense to where when they run that stuff, they trust Tatum. Trust that he can get the ball if he's if he gets a mismatch, and then the other guys trust that Tatum will get them the ball once he has the mismatch. And that's a level the Celtics were not at for about a year and a half. And that's just the level that they've gotten to over the last three months. And to prove that in a playoff series against Durant, against Irving, and to to dominate the the key moments of that series the way that they did, they held the Nets to four for 13 shooting over 10 clutch minutes and won those 10 minutes 
25 to 10. So whenever it was close, whenever it was a a key moment in the game, the Celtics won that moment. And I, I think that speaks as much to their evolution as anything else. They were able to trust the game plan, trust in each other, and finish out the Nets time after time after time in games that weren't blowouts. I think when we were heading into the series, we were like, uh, what happens if they're in close games, you know? And they they dominated the Nets in every close moment of that series. So I, w- I was really impressed by that. I think another huge thing about this series that is a good sign for the Celtics moving forward is um, it wasn't just the stars. I think Tatum obviously was the best player in the series. Jalen Brown, I think, had pretty big fourth quarters uh, and especially did a great job attacking in transition. Um, but the bench players, especially, I mean, Peyton Pritchard had a game. Grant Williams had a phenomenal game for uh, knocking down four threes, and I think his shooting is going to be extremely important. Um, but I even thought Derek White had some good moments. Like he still was 0 for 4 from 3, which I'm sure we will talk about because shooting is going to be very important uh, against the Bucks. But I thought he just did a good job of attacking off the catch and getting into the paint, and he had a nice little run of scoring there. Uh, and the return of Robert Williams just makes it so the team really is nine deep and you feel comfortable with any of those nine players in the game. Yeah, and, and I think... The, the time off will be important for Robert Williams because game <laughs> he three, was rusty. <laughs> he definitely wasn't the same. That play where he hacked Claxton, like he helped on Kyrie and then tried to recover to Claxton. And normally, not like other humans, like Rob Williams just flies and blocks the shot when he recovers like that. Instead, his timing was off. He didn't recover right and he smacked Claxton it was an and one and Robert Williams he kind of like shook his head a little bit like oh man (laughs) that that normally goes a different way um but he says his knee feels fine which is great and he like this time should be very valuable for him It, it looks like the next series will probably start on Sunday um so he'll have a few practices he he already has the two games to get his help get his win back and he's going to be huge against the bucks because i assume that al horford will draw the Giannis assignment most of the time like he has in the past and having robert williams as like the super help defender guy whether he's guarding brooke lopez west matthews whoever is just a big big deal against Giannis in particular because you need to be able to guard the paint you need to to protect the basket, and then you need to be able to fly out to stop shooters from shooting, and and that's where Robert Williams can be just devastating in that he can do both. Um, so him getting back up to speed and having this time, I think, will be very very important. And if he's not up to speed, then then that's an area where where the Bucks will be able to kind of challenge the Celtics a little bit. Yeah, it's a really good sign though that he. I don't. I presume we have to believe him that like he has no pain, but like it's clearly just getting back in the rhythm of things. And I think it's really good for the Celtics that are going to be able to get a practice. And you mentioned Nick Claxton. I just wanted to uh, ask how electric the kind of the Nick Claxton over 10 was in the building. Was that, uh, was that the playoff basketball you showed up for? That's what you wanted to see. Yes. Yes, that is. Uh, 
exactly what I what I needed. We we saw Hack of Claxton, which I was not uh, necessarily e- expecting, but that um, that was just incredible, wasn't it? To go, yeah, no, it was oh for I your had, first ten. Make the like make the eleventh. It was just it was wild and like there. I guess with good reason he didn't close out the game just because it. Uh, Ime just like flashed it once and like just let them know like we're we are willing to do this we are willing to put this guy on the line uh but he none of the uh misses really looked like they were on like they there were some bad misses in that Claxton uh thing but um just kind of wild that the net season like a lot of it came down to I guess relying on players like Claxton or uh the aging Blake Griffin to kind of come in and take charges but um I also Before enjoyed f- how ruthless Ime was while talking about it afterward. <laughs> what did he say? I missed it. <laughs> he said, yeah. He's like, that's something we circled in our scouting report and told our guys before the series even happened was <laughs> Claxton and Drummond are going to miss free throws. So uh, he's just a ruthless man. And he'll let you know about it when when he beats you. He'll let you know who he's picking on. He'll let you know why he's picking on him. Just a, a ruthless, ruthless coach. And he did a great job in the, the first series. Like, I thought the defensive game plan to take away Durant and make things as tough as possible on him was executed just about to perfection. And obviously the Celtics have some advantages there. They are the the rare team that has like a lot of options on Durant. I'm not saying there's a Durant stopper out there in this entire universe, never mind on the Celtics roster, but they have Grant Williams off the bench. They have Marcus Smart in the starting lineup. They have Jalen Brown. They have Jason Tatum. They have Al Horford who can guard just about anyone on switches. They have just so many options to guard Durant. And I thought, you know, shuffling through those guys, having those guys be so physical and then, the the job that Tatum did on Durant was just spectacular. Like he was he was phenomenal in that matchup and and really took that personally, I thought, um, in the sense that he wanted to prove himself and and he certainly did. That was just a monster, monster series from Jason Tatum doing it all. Offense, defense, passing, scoring the buzzer beater uh, and a wild sequence. Um, he blocked Durant twice. Like Tatum, he even fouled out for the first time in three years. <laughs> Tatum did everything in that series. And uh, he's, he's kind of arrived as one of the guys in the NBA. It feels like. It does feel like he's he's entering kind of that next echelon, that next tier of players who can like in this series he was the best player in the series on both ends of the court, and I think it speaks so uh, like very well to the Celtics' chances throughout the rest of the kind of playoffs because so often we talk about best player in the series will win uh, just because that's kind of how the NBA playoffs work, and I feel like the Celtics have the advantage of. Tatum can elevate his game to be that best player, but they have also this amazing depth around him, like you mentioned. So he is not the only guy who has to guard Kevin Durant. He is, and he won't be the only guy that's gonna have to guard Giannis. And I think that just the Celtics have so many guys. Like the the 
in game four, they got actually got in like a pretty decent foul trouble with all of their big men having four fouls. But it really like if Robert Williams wasn't back, I think it would have been much more of an issue. Uh, but they were managed to get through it. I think like Grant Williams just being able to hold his own against Kevin Durant is wild. It's just just from like his development and he played, oh, I think over 30 minutes a game this series He's just kind of the perfect guy to slide in off the bench who gives you size, who gives you physicality. And then if he's also knocking down threes, uh, he's so valuable for the Celtics team just because I think the strategy is going to be similar to uh, facing Giannis. Obviously, you're not going to be playing as high up on Giannis trying to take shots away, but you are going to build that wall and you're going to need to be physical. And I think Grant Williams is going to be a major part of that. Yeah, for sure. And then the other piece of it, like you said, the three-point shooting, the Bucks forced teams to shoot threes. Teams shot more than 43-point attempts per game against the Bucks this season. So every three you get from Grant Williams, every three you get from Derek White, every three you get from Marcus Smart is important. And I think that's going to be one of the challenges for the Celtics is find find shots that and have have guys knock down shots that aren't necessarily their best shooters, but also like know when to take the shots. Um, and they're probably a lot more trustworthy in that way than they were a year ago. You know, like they are they are a team that has been hunting the right types of shots for three months now. And they just seem to get better and better at that. So, but it's a totally different challenge against Milwaukee because they've got Giannis inside. They've got Brooke Lopez inside. They basically take away all points in the paint where the Nets, a lot of the time, it was like Claxton was guarding Tatum and who the hell else was going to protect the paint? Like Durant was tired as hell because he had to run through a million different bodies and Bruce Brown is like a good defender, but he's like 6'3". All the, all the rest of those tiny guys the Nets sent out there, the Celtics were able to take advantage of it. It won't be the same against Milwaukee. So I, I'm excited to see the clash of the Celtics taking on the champs, assuming that is the matchup we get. It's going to be interesting also with the Chris Middleton injury. The Bucks have responded by kind of playing their bigger lineup, going to Bobby Portis. Giannis and Brooke Lopez uh, in the lineup. I think the interesting thing is given the Bucks give up the mo- and kind of want you to take threes and the Celtics have done a pretty good job of taking the right threes, you know, giving up a good shot to get a great shot is like, do they, do they like take those, the, the three that they, the Bucks want you to take? Do they work the ball around, get forks, the Bucks in rotation, maybe to get a better three. I feel like the decision-making on that end uh, is going to be super important and then just given the size, the Celtics had such a clear advantage on the offensive glass where I just don't know if they're going to have that same advantage. I mean, Rob Williams wasn't great uh, in game four, but still had four offensive rebounds. Just given the size of the Bucks, uh, I don't know if they necessarily have that same advantage. I don't know like what the best uh, strategy is. Do you th- like what do you this is very early uh, prediction, but given the Bucks like to play drop defense and like to force threes, 
what do you think the best closing lineup is uh, to go up against the Bucks? Because I don't know if it's necessarily kind of having the two bigs. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think part of that um, relies on how well uh, you know Marcus Smart and Al Horford can shoot threes. If those guys are shooting well, and and maybe Rob Williams, you know, you put him in there and and he's able to to beat that Brook Lopez defense by giving that lob threat. Uh, but it's really tough to get lobs. It's really tough to to score inside against the Bucks because not only is Brook Lopez back there by the rim, but also Giannis is is lurking nearby, and and he is able to wipe away a lot of different stuff. Um. So yeah, I don't I don't know, but also at the other end of the court, like having a lot of size against Giannis is important, and having Robert Williams and Al Horford both on the court could be important. So we'll see. It, it's it's not it's going to be more of a chess match series. I feel like for Ime Udoka versus the first round, like they just had so many advantages, and the Nets had like obvious weaknesses that were just easy to pick off like oh you're gonna throw Seth Curry Goran Dragic and Kyrie Irving in the same lineup okay like it's it it's not hard to figure out where to attack there um whereas the Bucks are much much different defensively since Brooke Lopez got back they're back to defending at a super high level and even though Chris Middleton is out and his absence will be huge like that defense has been super impressive even without him so how how big do you think the the Middleton thing will be? Uh, it looks like he'll probably miss at least the start of the series if the two-week timeline that they said initially um, comes to fruition. I think it's huge just because it means the Celtics can focus that much more attention to Giannis. And you really don't like... Drew Holiday has had some big games and can definitely attack off the dribble, but you just don't necessarily worry as much about Drew Holiday. Chris Middleton is just as a volume scorer and a guy who can definitely punish you if you're collapsing to the center um, just to deal with the honest the entire time. I think it's a huge advantage for the Celtics, and it just chips away against uh, a Bucks team that I don't really believe uh, in their depth to like to even like when they had Middleton. And so basically by forcing Bobby Portis to the lineup, like I think the Celtics, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how much Bud actually plays Giannis. If he, if we're going to see kind of similar KD style minutes uh, and up over like 44 minutes a game. But I think anytime basically the, the Bucks bench right now is Javon Carter, Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton. And it feels like anytime those three guys are on the floor, it's a defensive mismatch for the Celtics and it's someone they can target. And those guys are going to be playing big minutes just because they, they have to. Like you pretty much play a, an eight guy rotation in the playoffs. And so I think it's a huge thing just because it really weakens the, the Bucks' depth. And it feels like the Celtics can really punish the Bucks when those guys are in the game and then especially punish the Bucks anytime Giannis goes to the bench. Yeah, it, Middleton all, often dominates those minutes when Giannis goes to the bench. Uh, and so that, that's a huge deal for them. And it hasn't mattered against Chicago, but it's totally different. It, it it should be totally different in a series against 
Boston. Um, Middleton also like Grayson Allen's been great, but like to, the Celtics just took away Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, you know, and so they have a lot of different guys. They switch a lot, and especially for the the lesser guys in that rotation like the easier shots you can get the better if 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 Grayson Allen needs to try to do too much that could be a bad thing for them if Pat Connaughton needs to try to do too much that could be a bad thing for them even if Drew Holiday has to do too much he's really good at both ends of the court but that could be a bad thing for them and so Middleton is like and he's the guy they run their late game offense through obviously Giannis is a part of that but Middleton is the guy like in charge of, of most of their late game offense, making the decisions. It, it, it it's a huge, huge deal. And then the other the other layer of this is the the Bucks basically said we would we would rather avoid the Nets and and have a road series against Boston. So I wonder if Ime Odoka brings that up to the Celtics as disrespect, like. These guys basically said home court doesn't matter against you. And I, I do think he'll probably bring that one up. Oh, yeah. A master of uh, motivation, Ime, is absolutely going to bring that up. I think it's interesting you mentioned kind of they, they run their late offense through Middleton because I like I thought the Nets definitely struggled in the clutch in terms of generating offense. But they had clear kind of go-to. It's like, all right, we're going to go to Durant and Kyrie Isos. I don't know if Giannis Isos are necessarily like the the thing for the Bucks right now that's going to get them clutch offense. And so I it, initially I don't know what the, the Bucks' answer is going to be where it's like close game in the fourth quarter under five minutes, what their go-to set is or who they're trying to attack. And I think it's one of the things that just make the Celtics so talented is they just have a giant closing lineup filled with guys who are all plus defenders. There's no kind of weak spot uh, where it just feels like they, that I wouldn't have guessed that this would be an advantage for them, but just like in the clutch, Giannis, if he's attacking the, um, like he gets his buckets by attacking the paint, any outside shot that Giannis takes, it feels like a win for the Celtics defense in this regard. And so I'm very curious to see what, what the Bucks try to do to execute, to try to get, better looks especially down the stretch yeah and and look they're a championship team like that matters too i think uh they have a lot of belief in what they're trying to do they have a bunch of guys who have been there before and in most cases been there before together uh so i don't think that can be discounted or or overlooked in any way um but yeah we'll see i think I think it will be a really interesting series. I am I am looking forward to that one. And I think as you look around the Eastern Conference, things are kind of s- set up for the Celtics, um, or at least like look like they're set up pretty well for the Celtics, like Middleton's hurting. Um, in Miami, Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler are both hurting. In Philadelphia, Embiid has a significant thumb injury and – the 76ers are seem to be in in a little bit of disarray at least in the first round already against the Toronto team that's 
that's good, but not great. James Harden doesn't look like himself. Um, so Miami is a bear. Like that defense has been unbelievable. They've totally dismantled Atlanta from everything they want to do. But like if, if the Celtics do get Robert Williams back to full strength and use this layoff to, to help him get there, like they are the the lone untouched team at this point is is what I would say. And and this is a, an opportunity for them. They're coming off a great, great series against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving where they answered the call at every turn. And they've got Tatum who seems to be realizing like – or seems to have realized, not even just realizing, seems to have realized all of what he can do on both ends of the court. And – this this is Kyrie thinks it's their time. Do you think it's their time? Not trying to get ahead of myself, but it definitely <laughs> feels like I knew you would think a, it. A, a four 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 situation might be a Bruin. I don't know if it's going to be that crazy. Uh, I actually would not. That'd be outrageous to pick the Celtics uh, to sweep again. Um, but. It does feel like things are aligning, especially with the Middleton injury, especially with them having home court. And it just, and Rob Williams coming back to playing full health. I would imagine, I don't know exactly like how they're going to deal with it, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him starting, uh, maybe not in game one, but definitely by game two, just because I think there's so much better uh, with him there. But if you just think back to that, three-month stretch where they had before his injury where they were just playing the most dominant basketball I think we've seen in a since what like the 73 win Warriors and just absolutely destroying teams on both ends of the court everything is kind of lining up for them to continue to do that and I think the fact that they did dominate for three months and play just phenomenal basketball I think Going back to a Brad Steven, Brad Stevens isms, this team has championship habits. Like they have, they just make the right play, especially on defense. They don't, sure, there's an occasional possession here or there where they miss something, but they're playing 48 minutes of defense. They're making the right plays on offense. And they kind of, them playing so well for such a long extended period of time, I think is paying dividends for them now in the playoffs. And they have the makeup right now of a championship team. And so I think that like you have to be optimistic moving forward, just seeing everything that they've done here in uh, the first four games against the Nets. Like every game against the Nets, even when they fell down, I'm thinking especially uh, in game two, you kind of had this feeling of just uh, inevitability with the Celtics are going to at least get themselves back into the game which is not the feeling you necessarily had in recent years. In recent years, you had the feeling that they might get themselves back in the game but never get over the hump. Or if they had a big lead, like up 20, that they were going to lose it. Now it's just kind of a feeling like the Celtics are going to figure out a way to at least give themselves a chance, which I think is just a huge factor. Like I can't, I just can't envision a game in which the Celtics get blown out in the playoffs. It, that just hasn't happened uh, basically in 2020, and I just, I mean, in 2022, and I just can't see them not competing in a game and not having it be close uh, at any point in the in the playoffs coming up. We'll see. Uh, the 
the more I think about a closing lineup, the more I'm starting to think Horford at the five, Grant Williams at the four might be the way to go. Unless Robert Williams is just at full, I'm ready to fuck shit up 100%. Because yeah, I mean, he needs to be like the dangerous if, lob threat and actually over the top. Because if they're going to play drop coverage and like Brooke Lopez is going to be in that drop, if Robert Williams is an actual lob threat, that just makes the job of Brooke Lopez that much harder. Um, and they can really punish that way. But I agree, I think Al Horford, if he can, if and we didn't really haven't seen a lot of it, but if they can run that kind of pick and pop, I do think the lineup with Grant and Horford gives you just enough size and physicality and three-point shooting that it might be your most uh, like versatile two-way lineup. Yeah, I, I think I think that could be the way to go. And then I mean I'm I'm thinking about matchups in my head. It could be like you force Giannis either guard one of those guys who will spend some of their time camped out at the arc. And you force Brooke Lopez to guard one of those guys. Or Giannis is in the action and you don't have him lurking as a help defender. And that could open up things elsewhere too. So, and Middleton, his absence isn't just a big deal offensively too. Like like that dude is a pretty good defender. Uh, and like his, his absence will be missed on both sides. His size will will be missed so we'll see we'll see i'm uh i'm up what's the recipe for the bucks beating the celtics like what has to go right for the bucks in order for them to prevail in this series because it feels like you're gonna need a monster performance from Giannis in pretty much every game just i think for the bucks to score i just don't have as much faith and kind of their scoring, especially without Middleton. Uh, but I think it, like, it needs to be huge performances from Giannis in addition to the Celtics just missing, like taking in like 43s a game and only making like 12 of them. Yeah. Um, sorry, I, I was just looking at the, the some of the Buck stats right now. Uh, what do you think the Bobby Portis, Giannis, Brooke Lopez trio could play at all against the Celtics? Probably not, because that was their starting starting group in their last game. That is a recipe for either Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez just getting abused on the perimeter. Like I just like the Bucks wing defense. They like to play Giannis in that kind of help position, kind of like uh, center field in the Robert Williams style. I just don't know who they have on the wing. I, I know Drew. But they could use Giannis to guard like Marcus Smart or something and just shade off him and force him to to make make shots or take shots. I still feel like then you have a Jason Tatum on Wesley Matthews, Bobby Portis. Like where, where are you – how are they like slowing down Jason Tatum if they're not going to put two on the ball? Yeah, that 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 lineup is huge. <laughs> that lineup is so big, like just enormous. And Giannis's versatility 
kind of lets them get away with it. But that, it's interesting just how how big they've gone with with Chris Middleton out. Uh, like it's it's kind of eye opening to be like, oh my god, Portis, Giannis, Lopez, all at once, motherfucker. <laughs> I think it's interesting. Like, what are you really? That's like, I think Portis and Brooke Lopez are good fives in terms of they can shoot the basketball well and like make enough threes but it's like is that really the enough spacing that you want with Giannis on the court you will kind of want to give him driving lanes and I feel like the Celtics despite those guys being pretty decent I feel like they're Bobby Portis is much more of like a pick and pop three guys same with Brooke Lopez um I just don't know the exact way the Bucks are going to try and attack the Celtics uh and I know people much smarter than me can figure it out, but it's just right now I'm, tr- I see I'm, I'm trying to not be overly optimistic. I'm trying to talk myself into the Celtics, not just being the, the huge favorites in the series. Uh, but it seems like things are definitely like in that direction. You're pretty excited. You're pretty optimistic. I would say I'm peed and Jade pumped and jacked about this upcoming series. Kind of wish it would start earlier. Uh, in fact, a lot of the days off are going to be helpful. It also means probably Chris Middleton, if he can come back, comes back a little bit earlier in the series than uh, initially anticipated. But I think the rest will probably help. But having a full six days in between series is kind of wild. It is a long time. It, I do think it could be good for the Celtics, so especially for Robert Williams. Um, but like this is a second six or so day rest that they've had in the last couple of weeks, the last few weeks. And so it's good for Al Horford. It's good for Jason Tatum, who plays a ton of minutes. Um, when you can wrap up a playoff series early, that can have major benefits later on in the series. I think you've heard Tatum talk about the the length of the Toronto series when they were in the bubble and how they could have closed them out early and it came back to haunt them because instead the game, that series went seven. And even though the Celtics won, it was like the attrition from it was impactful and and carried over into the next round against Miami. So making quick work of Kevin Durant, making quick work of Kyrie Irving, like that could be very helpful down the line. All right, we all have a further Bucks Celtics preview some point later in the week. Maybe we'll get Eric's name from the Athletic, who covers the Bucks uh, for them. Let's close it out. What were some of your favorite moments? The moments you'll remember most from Bucks Nets. I'm going to just start off with I thought Grant Williams guarding KD after the whistle in Game Four and making sure he didn't get a clean shot off was just a uh, that was good breakfast. That was fantastic stuff. You didn't prepare me. Uh, for this part of of the show, didn't tell me I should come with with some things to discuss. But uh, Tatum blocking Durant's shot twice and almost a third time was just eye opening. Uh, nobody does that. Nobody on earth touches Kevin Durant's shot, and and Tatum did it multiple times. So you know, on top of all the other stuff Tatum did. That that's the type of thing that makes you go, oh wow, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tatum Tatum's Tatum's doing that now, okay. Uh, the obvious answer was the Tatum game one uh, buzzer beater would probably be the most memorable moment for the series. But 
Uh, I'll give you another one from game four. Marcus Smart completely airballing a shot and then ripping off his shooting sleeve because it didn't have no buckets in him, and then he nailing his next three. I thought that was a huge moment in game four. Yeah, that was – I mean, sometimes the shooting sleeve has no buckets. Isaiah, Isaiah taught his former teammates a lesson. When something that has no buckets in it, you move on. You find something that, that could give you some buckets. Um, I'm going to go with the, t- the time Tice and Durant made contact and Tice lived to tell the tale. <laughs> Tice, the war on Tice was paused for one moment. You there? You still, I just I left. I came back, so I didn't hear the moment whatsoever. Where I'm going to say yes, I agree. I know. I said that the time that Tyson Durant tangled and and Tice lived to tell the tale. The foul did not go on him. The war on Tice was was halted for for but a moment in time. And what a beautiful beautiful moment it was. All right, let's finish off this podcast. Going to the phones. Joshua B, you're going to thrash me for my lack of exuberance, uh, and I'm just – I'm ready for it. Come on down. You're the next contestant. On the All podcast. right. How are you guys doing? How are you doing? Joshua it's so good B. to see you. I'll tell you, I was waiting all day after game four for a podcast. I had come to expect you guys to go right away, and instead I got to listen to people talk about the Montreal Canadiens and French – I, I got a wonderful podcast about the Atlanta Braves, but you're here now, and I'm so excited to be a part of a part of this. Just like I'm so excited that the Bucks were swept by the Celtics, I, but not not the Bucks. That I'm predicting the Bucks are going to go down in five, right? And Ooh, right, five. Yeah, five. Because we have a massive, massive matchup problem. The moment Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum is switched on to Wesley Matthews. We're, we're going to dunk on him. The moment you decide to play Grayson Allen against Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, that's a matchup problem. And never mind that I think that Brooke Lopez is actually worse than Robert Williams III, right? Forget all, forget all of that. I actually think that you have severe matchup problems when you're looking at the Bucks without Chris Middleton. And the other thing that everybody seems to be forgetting is that last year, the reason that the Bucks were as successful as they were was because Chris Middleton continued to make clutch shot after clutch shot after clutch shot. And finally, at the end of all of that, right, you still have the problem of the Bucks sacrificing home court advantage to play the to play the Bulls and not polishing off the sweep. Meanwhile, the Celtics get the extra rest. How healthy do you think that Robert Williams III is going to be for this series? I mean, I think we're pushing at our six-week um, time frame if they start on Sunday. Or am I wrong on that? I could be wrong on that. But I think that we're in the zone. Are we? It, it, I, I think it would be about five weeks out. Um until game one, which will likely be on Sunday. So, yeah, and, and Middleton, to your point, his his status, not just his availability, but how he looks is as big a question mark as, as can be and as important a, a, a thing as could be in this series. If he's not right, it's going to be tough for them to manufacture the type of looks that you need to get against this Celtics defense. Um and and I mean if he does miss game one, game two, 
and he's not right when he comes back, that's a significant deal for them given that he'll have to have those major offensive responsibilities and then guard a Tatum or Brown on top of that. I'm predicting the Celtics to go up to finish in five. And the reason I'm doing that is because I believe that the NBA is going to send Scott Foster down to referee our game if we start to win, if we start to win that third game, right? Or they may extend, send Scott Foster down in game three um, just to make sure that they extend the series. Are you worried at all about the officiating um, assignment trying to extend this series um, from the NBA side? Or do you think that I'm just imagining that this is not going to be a big deal? You know, that... I think uh, Milwaukee, if you're if you're into conspiracies, Milwaukee's a little different than Brooklyn as as far as the conspiracy goes. You know, Brooklyn had Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and so I'm motivation to get the New York market in the game less so to try to get the Milwaukee market uh, in the game. I'm I mean I'm always scared of. Scott Foster and or Tony brothers just because of their body of work. But uh, as we saw in game four, I think the Celtics can still overcome it. I just, the officiating being completely rigged, I just hasn't been a huge storyline. I can't think except since like maybe the 2006 finals with Dwayne Wade. Like that was the last time it was like a highly questionable series. Uh, but I'm just not as not as concerned about that. I feel like the best team will win out despite uh, any possible uh, shenanigans from uh, Scott Foster. That's potentially Let's go to true. John O, Johnny O, how's it going? Welcome to Anything's Pod. Good. Yeah, thank you. I'm also uh, on the relation of like fouling. Do you think it's going to be in the Bucks' game plan to try to irritate Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum as much as possible? Because it seems like Tatum has these spurts of anger throughout the games, and then that causes him to have dumb fouls, like charging into Blake Griffin in game four, trying to get something aggress- aggressive. So do you think a game plan from the Bucks is just try to have to get Tatum more irritable? Because I think they are have the personality to irritate Jason Tatum more than the Brooklyn Nets, per se. Yeah, I I think uh, I I mean I I see what you're saying. Where Tatum gets mad, he starts focusing on the refs a little bit. He he throws up the hands and gets all pissed off. <laughs> I get it, but I think he he's pretty much handled himself well for the most part over the last three months at least, and. That said, yes, they are going to try to irritate him. They are going to probably send Drew Holiday at him. They are going to have Brooke Lopez at the rim. They are going to have Giannis as a help defender. They are going to do whatever they can to limit his easy buckets, to force him to take tougher ones. They have a ton more size than Brooklyn, so he won't just be like running running by tiny people as he goes to the rim with, with little rim protection waiting for him there um it's going to be tougher the 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 bucks defense is much better so i i i think they'll they'll definitely like everyone's going to want to take out the other team's best player and do what you can to make things difficult for him but i don't think it's necessarily like 
like piss him off or get the refs to piss him off or whatever. I think it's just let's do whatever we can to to make things tough on him. And and that means Drew Holiday, and that means a whole lot of dudes waiting for Tatum at the rim every time he goes there. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bucks are clearly just a better defensive team, and they have Giannis, who's a defensive player of the year type player. So I think it's going to be a lot harder for the Celtics to get easy baskets. But I think fouls are going to be very interesting uh, on the other end because I think the Celtics are going to be extremely physical with Giannis. And unlike KD, Giannis is relentless and is going to keep coming. And it's going to be very interesting how that whistle kind of dictates. Marcus Smart is going to try to take so many charges. Marcus Smart is going to try to average two charges per game. And he might be able to get, like, that really will swing some games if he's able to get Giannis in foul trouble. I also think the Celtics, with the luxury of Daniel Tice, they have, like, four big men who can uh, can get in foul trouble. And having that depth at the big position, it's like, I think it's going to be advantageous for them because, you know what, like, Daniel Tice can foul out of every game and that can be – like, I don't think they're going to necessarily go to that. Like, I, I would expect him to have much less minutes as Rob takes a larger role. But if Rob or Al Horford gets in foul trouble, they can go to uh, Tyson still kind of have an effective defense. And so I think there's the fouls and how Giannis is officiated will uh, likely have kind of an impact on, on the series. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, and Marcus Smart has had a number of times in the past where he's taken like multiple charges against Giannis. So he will be rotating and he will be there. And, and Horford, like the Celtics just have a lot of size. They're similar teams defensively with just a lot of size, uh, a lot of tough dudes. And I, I, I don't think the, the bucks have quite the defensive personnel that Boston does, but, but they're huge. And especially with Giannis and Brooke Lopez and, when they play Portis alongside those guys and Drew Holiday, a point guard, like they're just big. <laughs> it's 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 going to be a lot tougher to find space than it was during the first round. All right, let's go to Jonathan R. Join us here in the athletic live room. Jonathan, how you doing? I'm doing great, fellas. Uh, quick question. How many times – can Jason Tatum finally emerge as a superstar? Every single national media talking head has said it at different points over the last couple years. At what point does that narrative get laid to rest where he is actually considered by everybody what we've known for a while now that he is that dude? Well, well, here's a, here's a thing with that. I think um, is he's had like, a number of leaps throughout his career. So for, first it was um, the year they went to the conference finals in the bubble. The When it was January, whatever it was that year, he just took off. Um, then last year uh, kind of sort of stayed at that level. He had the one month after COVID where he wasn't great. Um, and then kind of had the, the huge playoff series against Kevin Durant. Where where he changed really to me this year and where he took the leap, uh, another leap, is the the playmaking. Like not not just the court vision, but the willingness 
to to kick out the ball at the right moment to the right player and just pick people apart with his passing. And he he's gotten so much better at that. And it it just changed everything for not just him, but for the Celtics. Um, and then the the first round series against Brooklyn showed off his defense too. And he's always been a good defender. Um, but I thought just the the level he played at consistently in that series was just pretty eye opening. And to do it against Durant, a guy that nobody makes uncomfortable, is he's proving himself now. Tatum is as one of the best two-way players in the the entire game. And I don't think you could always say that about him. Even even when he was taking the leap before, like you couldn't always trust him to make the right reads at the right time and to get the Celtics what they wanted. And I, I think that's where he's taken the the biggest jump this year. And that's one of the reasons their offensive execution has been so much better over the last few months is that he's both capable and willing to do that now. And I think it could happen three more times where the national media says he's a uh, superstar. Uh, it's just like if the Celtics continue winning series, the narrative, this is just how the media works. He's going to be oh, – Jason Tatum has a ride. Now he has taken down Giannis. Jason Tatum has now gotten his team to the NBA final. Uh, the media works is like when you have a, a win like that, a series win, especially against the team that uh, has established stars or uh, is an established team. Or uh, like you just have to anoint someone, and then you, you know what you you say that they drive the bus, and then we have a whole discussion <laughs> on who's a bus driver and who's a bus passenger. <laughs> Uh, just driving the bus. Just driving Jay, the uh, bus. Is, is driving the bus potable? Absolutely. The last few days have shown that driving the bus is a, a pretty big topic in the NBA. It's also important to public infrastructure. <laughs> oh, <God>. That was a bad, bad execution of that joke. I, I realized I got sticky real quick. Anything's potable, guys. You guys know what the deal is now. Join us later in the week. Uh, we'll hopefully have a guest and further break down this Bucks celtics series. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to everyone who joined us here in the Athletic Live Room. And we'll be back later in the week to preview celtics Bucks. Anything is potable. Anything is potable. Anything is potable.